listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program, the premier back on the airwaves, back taking questions again from reporters for the first time in a very long while. Not in Toronto, not facing necessarily the Queen's Park Press Gallery, which isn't always a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes it is important, as the Premier says, to get out of the bubble of Toronto. But today, he was asked about the ongoing problems with cronyism and patronage within his government. And specifically, I am referring to this report from the Globe and Mail that says that the heads of two lobbying firms are now giving Premier Doug Ford's government advice. Chris Froggart and Corey Tanecki, who were part of the election team that got Doug Ford uh, elected in this province, have started government relations firms, and that was begun just weeks after the election win last year. They are now advising the government. Here, I want to play this again for you here because I really want to deconstruct what the Premier had to say and really look inside the communications and how this government is handling what has been a crisis situation pretty much since it took office. Here is the Premier answering what it is that he has to say about the fact that high-powered, high-paid lobbyists are advising his government. Let's be very clear, no one influences my government, no one influences uh, my cabinet, Uh, and I've said this over and over, no one can influence Doug Ford or our cabinet. Next question. All right, I don't believe the evidence proves that to be a case, because we're not talking about lobbyists telling the government what to do. If you know anything about lobbying, it is about nudging a government towards an outcome that you prefer and allowing the government, allowing the decision maker to truly and fully believe that whatever decision is being made is in the best interest of the public. But when those options are presented to the decision makers, it's the advisors that often shape the decisions or the options being laid out in front of the decision makers, in front of the cabinet. Think of the Ron Tavner story, by the way, when we start thinking about cabinet. Remember that in that situation, Mr. Tavner, the cabinet was told that Mr. Tavener was going to be appointed as OPP commissioner. It did not decide. It was told to decide that. And in the wake of the controversy that flared up, it's clear that it is not a table of equals at cabinet with equal voices. It never is. It's about the premier's office dictating what it wants. And keep in mind, who is advising the premier? The people who got him where he is today. And if there's one thing that Doug Ford values, it's loyalty. We've seen that. We saw that the way he stuck with Dean French for so long. Well, hey, listen, none of this is important anyway, right? Because you at home, you don't care about cronyism. You don't care about influence peddling, shady backroom dealings. That's not your thing. That's not what the premier hears anyway. People can give political advice. They've been doing it for centuries. Uh, I'll take political advice, but uh, no one interferes in any decision that we make as cabinet. No one interferes. 
Here again is the Premier talking about what it is he hears from regular people. When I'm out there, I don't hear what the media is asking me. I know the media has their agenda and so on and so forth. I'm not hearing that. What I'm hearing is over and over again, and I cover Ontario from top to bottom, and I just hear, keep going, don't deter, keep moving forward. So I'm listening to the people. So it is just the people in the media with an agenda who don't care about the premier's chief of staff stuffing government ranks with his buddies or high-powered lobbyists advising the government? It's just us? It's just the special interests? It's just the media lefty elites that are concerned about that? I would suggest otherwise, Premier. I would suggest that some core supporters and people that voted for your government are also concerned about what is happening at the highest levels of the provincial government. I come back to a point that I often make on this program and that this government thinks you're stupid. It talks to you like you are dumb because you can't figure these sort of things out. Oh, hey, listen, uh, 30% or percent cut in tuition fees or taken away OSAP. Oh, we're eliminating the wait list for uh, autism for kids with uh, parents with kids with autism, except for that's not really what we're doing. Again and again, this government does precisely that. And then when the premier was asked a very valid question about negotiations with the beer store from Randy Rath, who is a longtime reporter from CHCH, the premier essentially dismisses him and says, <laughs> Oh, Randy, I love you. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you first if anything's going to happen. I'll bring over a case of beer, too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the entire situation with beer in the corner stores is no laughing matter. It could cost us, as taxpayers, as much as a billion dollars. That is what some sides are saying. The Premier says, that's ridiculous. But nevertheless, we have legal action now between the brewers, retail, and the government over the government tearing up a legal contract. It is not a laughing matter. Let's pivot to Boris Johnson, shall we? Because the Premier was asked about the new British Prime Minister and his thoughts on Boris Johnson. Here's Dofo on Bojo. Yeah, you know something? I like that Boris Johnson. I've always liked him. I liked him when he was mayor, and I think he's going to do great, uh, great job. He has a, a big job uh, turning that around. It's a, quite, a, quite a nightmare over there. But I, I think the, uh, the people of uh, the U.K. are, are going to support him. He's a no-nonsense type of uh, person. He's going to get the job done. I, a matter of fact, I'd love to meet him one day. I think when, if I ever get over to London, I've never been to London, I'd love to go there and uh, say hello to him. And do you have any concerns about uh, doing trade with the U.K. if they separate from the EU? No, we're, we're open to trading with, with anyone. You know, I, I don't want to get involved in their issues over there. But someone wants to trade with Ontario, we're open for business, we're open for jobs. Yeah, I don't want to get involved. I'll trade with whoever I want or whoever needs to be trading with us. And hey, if I can get a trip to London to meet uh, Bojo, I'll take that too. Now, here is Boris Johnson, and I want to play this for you. This is a radio report from ABC News. And I just want you to listen to uh, Boris Johnson, as you heard in the news, who is the, now the British Prime Minister. Uh, just ask yourself, how many Red Bulls has Bojo had here? 
The new chief here, former London mayor, former foreign secretary, Boris Johnson, who's trying to breathe some long-lost life into the post. We are going to energize the country. We're going to get Brexit done on October the 31st. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can-do. Job one for the new prime minister, get his new cabinet in place, then he'll have 100 days and counting to strike a Brexit deal acceptable to all, not an easy task. Tom Rivers, ABC News, London. Yes, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done right away. I'll have another expresso. Boris Johnson. And then, if, you know, it, regardless of where you stand on the political, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the outlet, on your politics and how you feel about Brexit, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Boris Johnson is entertaining. Now, some people may have said at one point, well, Donald Trump is entertaining, and now look where we are. But Boris Johnson is entertaining. Here, this I love this one, where he goes all dude on us. I know some, some waggles already pointed out that deliver, unite, and defeat was not the perfect acronym for an election campaign, <laughs> since unfortunately it spells dud. But they forgot the final E, my friends. E for energize. And I say, I say to all the doubters, dude, we are going to energize the country. We're going to get Brexit done. Dude. dude. Yes, we shall fight them on the beaches. We, you know, from that to dude. That's, that's where the British prime ministership is today. Time for you to weigh in on this whole Amber Alert complaint thing. Keep it down. What is the problem with people calling 911 to say, hey, your Amber Alert woke me up? Now, you, you may have heard this story. An online petition has now been launched asking that fines be implemented for people who do this kind of thing. Every time an Amber Alert goes off lately... Two things happen. One, there's the Amber Alert, and people pay attention to that, and there's the news that goes with that. And then quickly right after that, there's a release from the police saying, can you not call us and complain about this, maybe? Maybe not? And then people get all upset. They get, oh, who does this? It's outrageous. And they just, we just, and we just dine out on our own superiority. Don't we on this one a little bit? Like, I'm not defending the, the boneheads that do this, but there are boneheads everywhere that are going to complain about stuff at all times. You know this for a fact. I want you to weigh in on whether or not we should actually start fining people for this kind of thing. Here is the woman behind the petition asking for people to face a consequence for calling 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. This is Dahlia Monicelli. I just thought that uh, something had to be done. Um, And I know that the police was sending out um, requests to kind of um, stop calling about this. I thought, you know what, these people do need to be fined and they do need to stop doing what they're doing. If people are going to start getting fined, they will definitely be discouraged from calling, first of all. And second of all, I just think that in general, the numbers of people calling is going to drop and hopefully just disappear completely. That is Dahlia Monticelli, who is sending the petition, planning on sending that petition to the Premier's office and also to the Ontario Attorney General, asking that people who call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts face a fine. 
What do you think about that? The question is, if we start there, where do we stop? Well, what does the Premier think about it? He was asked about it this morning. He hadn't actually heard the specific story, but had this to say. Uh, good morning, Premier Hi. Ford. Uh, Andrew Graham of Global News in London. Um, hey, Andrew. Just speaking of cell phones, there's a, a petition circulating online that looks to, uh, wants to ask to implement fines for people who call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. I was wondering if you heard about that or if you had any opinion. I haven't, I haven't heard about it. They're complaining about Amber Alerts? No, 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 no. They're, uh, they're looking to implement fines for people who call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. Uh, it was circulating online. We had it on Global News this morning. Yeah, you know something, I haven't heard about that, but I've, who would complain about an Amber Alert? You know, or, or I, I don't know, I think they're great. You know, it's, uh, it's absolutely essential we have Amber Alerts, especially when children go missing. It's critical. But I'll, I'll look into that story for you. The Premier says he will look into it. Keep it down! Well, what do you think? Now, you may have heard this story, that over the weekend, Peel Regional Police put out the following tweet. It's hot outside, which means the ice cream trucks will probably be out. If the ice cream truck stops in front of your house and is there for a bit due to all the children, it is still not a reason to call 911 to complain. If you have a complaint about ice cream trucks, call 311. See? You don't call 911. Hey, listen, listen. Even Drake knows that. So what do you think? If we're going to start giving fines out to people who call about the Amber Alerts, are we going to give out fines for people who call about the ice cream trucks? And if we're going to give out fines for people who call about the ice cream trucks, or what about people who call about spiders? Because you know that happens. There's a spider in the bathroom. Sir, don't call 911. Well... Let's find out what you have to think. And my goodness, the phones are lighting up. People want to talk about this. Let's begin with you, Carol, in Barrie. You think we should actually hand out fines for this kind of thing? Hi, Carol, you're on the air. Yes, I believe we should. I believe that a fine, it doesn't have to be large, generally hits people where they live. But if we're going to do that... I mean, people do dumb things. People are jerks. If we're going to start start handing out fines for that, what else should we fine for? Right now, I'm good with just the Amber Alert. All right. Thank you, Carol. Let's go to uh, John, who is in Scarborough. People should not call 911, obviously, John. It, that's a no-brainer. But handing out fines, is that a good idea, John? The fines might be a good deterrent. Personally, I guess I'm kind of curious if you know. Do you happen to know if 911 is a national or North American plan, or where is it hinged out of? Well, each um, uh, each area has its own response center to 911. So the 911 system works right across North America. But when you call it, you pardon me, you call it, you get called into you know Peel or Toronto's or Durham's. They're individual call centers. I'm sorry, maybe I phrased my question wrong. Maybe I'm talking more about the, the Amber Alert as to where that's, that's based. That is a provincial mandate. It comes from the Ontario Provincial Police. It uh, is issued from there, and then there is a, an agreement between the Ontario Provincial Police and broadcasters across this province that when the uh, police say it's an Amber Alert, then we break in. We break in in terms of programming, and then the cell networks also break in, and that's why you get those alerts. Yeah, I guess what I'm curious about is that, like, you have all these people calling in and complaining about the uh, 
the idea of, okay, you woke me up in the middle of the night, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things is I think the concept for the program is, is certainly intelligent, but then whoever designed it, I kind of think to myself that they probably don't need to have not brush an alarm come through your phone because to me it makes more sense that by all means have a unique sound but something that, you know, triggers as a unique sound, so you glance at your phone or whatever. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I have to agree that me sleeping at 3 o'clock in the morning, I have no idea where that child or person is. All right, thank you, John. And I think John makes a good point here, and this has been a concern about the Amber Alert since the beginning, which is if you overuse it and if you misuse it, people will stop paying attention. They will begin to see it as an inconvenience. 3 o'clock in the morning. What am I possibly going to do about it? I'm asleep here. I'm asleep in Toronto, and you're telling me a kid is missing in Sault Ste. Marie. It's ridiculous. So I think there is a point to that, but let's get back to our central question, which is if you're going to end up pick up the phone and call 911, should you face a fine? Well, Rick is in Uxbridge today, and Rick, you think that the Amber Alert is amazing, but go. Rick in Uxbridge is not with us. Let's move on to James in Newmarket. People should be not fined, but what, James? What's your thought? I think for the previous people that have called 911, which is clogging up our system as well, uh, when there is a real emergency, I think they should be called back and asked for a donation. From this point forward, let the public know that there is an additional number that you can call just for the complaint. Just a complaint number. Yeah, so far as someone getting a call at 3 o'clock in the morning, that's no different than, okay, snooze, and you go back to sleep. You're going to take the extra time, energy, and that to phone up and complain about it? The only thing that I think about that is that these people would want that Amber Alert and people concerned about the Amber Alert if it's someone they love, a friend, a family, or anything of the sort. It's obvious that ignorance is a huge part of it, and being woken up at 3 a.m. to know that there's a child missing, regardless of what part of this province it's in, look how far their last individual traveled with the child, and the child died. So All right, thank, thank you so much, James. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a good call. I just want to move on real quick here to Bob and Mississauga. Ice cream trucks, uh, have you ever called the cops or called 911 because of the uh, you know turkey in the straw being played outside? I'm going to have to say uh, no to that, but, I mean, this takes the whole 911 uh, abuse to a whole new stupid level. But let's get back to the central question. There's stupid, and then there's somehow bringing in a fine system, and who's going to decide whether your call to 911 is stupid enough that you should get a fine? Well, I guess you're going to have to send an officer out for each one and get them investigated because you can't very well go lay blanket charges. But that seems ridiculous. I mean... It, it is. I, I mean, I understand, I guess, the motivation behind all of this. But yeah. my point is, no matter where you go in life, there are people going to complain about everything. Trust me, yeah. I'm on the radio. Yeah. You don't think people complain yeah. about everything I do? Well, I've got one positive for you. Yes. Your show should be on Sirius also. Well, I like you, Bob. Thank you, okay, Bob. Text in the mail. Thank you. On the way to you, sir. Thank you so much. Mike in Toronto. Let's go to you, Mike. You've been holding for a while. Your thoughts on whether people should be fined for su- for doing something dumb like calling 911 over Amber Alerts. You hit it right there. 
doing something dumb. I mean, why are you calling this? This has been put in place, you know, to protect people, to save a human life. It's not not there for any other reason. I mean, if you're getting a call at 3 in the morning, what are you doing with your cell phone on? You know, we have landlines. Cell phones are for, to me, to be accessible, you know, during the day. At night, I don't need a call. I have a landline. And it's just people are getting out of hand. But let's get back to the, I mean, you know, people are jerks. Yes, we're going to accept that. Should they get a fine for being a jerk? Absolutely. They know the rules. That's the rule. You don't, you don't call there unless there's an emergency. I and just. That's what it's set up for. All right, Mike, I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But I just, I have trouble with that. And I think really, if you think about it past the emotional response that you're having, saying, you guys are, that's a stupid thing to do. There should be a consequence for that. Well, get in line for the stupid things that are out there, the stupid things that people do, and we don't consider, well, you know, I I just, I have a hard time understanding how it is we're going to decide, well, now this was a ridiculous call to the 911, you need to be fined, and the guy with the spider, well, no, you're fine. Steve is in Markham. You don't think that the alarm system should be going off on your phones at 3 a.m. anyway? Well, no, I understand the severity of it, and I get the idea of the Amber Alert. It's a great idea, but... On the cell phones, to be woken up in the middle of the night, some people, like me, for example, I can't get back to sleep afterwards. I drive for a living. I fall asleep on the road the next day, take out six people. That's a nice trade-off. Am I going to get dressed when I get the call at 2 in the morning and go out and help look for this guy? Like the guy said before, snooze. I'm not going to do that. Okay? If you don't want people calling 911, take it off the phone. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to hear it on the radio. You're going to hear it on TV. You don't need it on your phone. All right, Steve, thank you very much. I really appreciate everybody calling in. It's an interesting thing. I just have difficulty saying that you should just charge people for doing dumb things when it's not criminal. Speaking of dumb things, this just coming now out of Florida, out of Disney's Hollywood Studios, where a 23-year-old tourist from Chicago punched a Disney worker in the face when her fast pass was not working. The Orange County Sheriff's report that the Disney World cast member offered to help this woman on July 13th, but then she became angry. She started pushing the buttons on the podium that could have affected the ride. When the employee pushed her hand away, the woman punched her in the face. Obviously, not the happiest place on earth for everyone. We begin our next segment with a terrifying report about climate change. I'm not talking about icebergs. I'm not talking about water levels. I'm talking about alligators. You may have heard about the possibility of meth gators because of drugs being flushed into the sewer system in the southern United States, and maybe that methamphetamine gets into the gator. Meth gators. Well, not only do we have meth gators now, you can find alligators in Pittsburgh. For the fourth time since May, an alligator has been found in or around Pittsburgh, far from the warmer tropical areas. The latest find this past Friday, a two-foot-long gator found 10 miles north of the Steel City. 
So it's getting warmer. The alligators are moving north and they're all tweaking on meth. Guys, let's be positive. Tough to be positive when that's happening. Thank you, Premier. A Facebook post by a Louisiana police officer suggesting that Representative Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, quote, unquote, needs a round, drew severe criticism on Sunday. And now two members of the police department were fired. One for that Facebook post calling the representative, quote unquote, a vile idiot, suggesting that she be shot. What it actually said, I believe, was that she deserves a round and not like the ones that she used to serve at the bar. Then a second police officer was also fired for liking that post. Now, if you ask yourself, well, that can't happen here, can it? That's not the sort of thing that would happen here, whether or not you think that that is totally over the line. Obviously, for an armed police officer to suggest something like that, that would be a big problem. Well, of course, you may recall that two Toronto firefighters were terminated. This back in 2013, after those, actually, it was three firefighters, pardon me, after what the city called a breach of social media policy. Essentially, one of the firefighters quoted some lines from South Park. Didn't actually come up with the lines himself, but basically put some offensive lines from South Park. And if you know the program, it's pretty much every other second it's an offensive line of some kind. But put that out on social media, fired. And we have found out through reporting out of the United States that this is not just the only time this has happened with these police officers. Thirteen fire department officers, or pardon me, fire, or police officers, pardon me, in Philadelphia have been fired for racist and violent Facebook posts. And all of this raises questions about what your rights are as an employee and what our rights are as a society to say, no, no, you're in a position of authority. You can't write those certain things on social media. You are fired. Is that fair? Lior Sampiru is the employment lawyer and joins me on the line to discuss this. Hey, Lior. Good afternoon, Alan. So let's begin with what you put on social media. In this case, with the um, one police officer in Louisiana making a terrible, terrible joke. And then, but secondly, just liking it. Are those both fireable offenses in this province? So let's start from the uh, proposition and the conclusion that what you do off work, what you do online on your personal time is relevant to your employer, and it is is something that could impact uh, your employability and could potentially lead to the termination of your employment. And certainly in situations where you're in some sort of a position of authority or you're a public figure, you can be identified with your employer. What you do, what you say, how you represent yourself is going to impact your employer. And in that situation, your employer has a vested interest to make sure that, again, how you portray yourself is in line with how it wants to portray itself. 
So I absolutely believe that uh, posting things, supporting propositions that uh, are not in line with the expectations of the job, the expectations from the, in this case, the police force, when we're talking about the people that uh, are out there trying to protect the public, uh, I think those types of uh, statements, whether you're supporting them, liking them, or actually posting them, are fireable offenses. And I think the same would be uh, here in, uh, in Ontario and in Canada. Even a like. Just that click in that one button. That's it. Yes, sir. I would certainly not consider it as big an offense, but given the nature of the common, how offensive the common is, and, and we're talking about police officers where we do hold them to a higher standard, I, I think that even that is certainly something that is cause for discipline up to and including termination, yes. For those who, you know, if we take it to another, the next level up, let's say you're a teacher, let's say you're in some sort of public capacity at the city, now you go and like something that is a, you know, is it, you know, uh, that's what she said joke from the office, and you click on it, but it's taken out of context. You know, is that a fireable offense? Well, it really does impact how, or the question becomes how it's it's going to impact your employer. If your uh, if your post, your like, whatever it is that you did is going to become public, and in so doing. Uh, reflect negatively on your employer, then it is fireable. And, you know, let, let me use an example. Uh, you, yourself, for example, you're, you're in the public eye. Uh, you're, you're recognized with a certain brand, global course, etc. And because of that notoriety, publicity, what you do and what you say may well reflect on your employer. And, and because of that, you're going to be held to a higher standard than someone that's working for a company that's not well-known and he works in the mailroom, so whatever he or she does probably won't reflect on the employer. So the more it reflects on the employer, the more the employer could be painted in a certain light or it may impact the employer's business, the more it's going to be expected from the individual. And because of that, what you say off work, during your own time online, absolutely is going to impact your employer and your job. Lior Samfiru is the employment lawyer. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Forget about it. Don't worry about it so much. Just don't worry. Just be careful what you put on the social media. Hey, listen. Listen. Just, exactly. Just be careful with it. I want to leave you quickly with a panda story. A giant panda in London, or rather in Edinburgh, pardon me, has found out the hard way that his enclosure is protected by an electric fence. Visitors at the Edinburgh Zoo worried Tuesday when he watched they watched the male panda run back to his den after being zapped by the barrier. The Royal Zoological Society of Scotland says the panda had one shock from the electric fence but is going to learn to avoid it. Forget about it. No worries.